You can open your Bible this evening to Genesis 37. We won't go back and read. Uh, we finished reading chapter 37 of Genesis last week, but there are many more lessons that we want to learn from this passage. But so you can kind of scan through there as we continue to look at, at some of these lessons that are found in the experiences that, that Joseph had. Of course, in this 37th chapter, we saw where his brothers hated him so much for many reasons, but uh, what kind of was the icing on the cake were the, the fact uh, that Joseph had these visions that he was going to rule over his family. And they hated him even more, to the point that they actually sold him as a slave. They, they first wanted to just kill him. And once again, when you read these, these stories, you think, can that really happen? I mean, brothers hate their brother so much that they would want to kill him and then end up selling him. And, and as we continue the, the study here, we'll find that the, those underlying feelings and hatred specifically, we see that that is just part of the flesh. And it's very active, certainly, in the world today and sadly even among God's children that, that haven't learned to judge these different uh, manifestations of, of the flesh. So we'll, we'll look at, at those, but we've also noticed that Joseph was faithful and he was persistent to do what his father asked him to do. The vision that he received that made everybody so angry, uh, he received from God. It was God's revelation of what God was going to do in and through Joseph. And so Joseph wasn't to blame for sharing that truth. It was going to be the salvation of Jacob and his family. And so he wasn't wrong for doing that. It's a message he received from God, and he, he shared it. And then we see his father ask him to go check on his brothers. He did that. They weren't where they were supposed to be for whatever reason. And rather than just give up, Joseph continued. He was persistent. And all of these virtues are virtues that God's looking for us in, in our walk with the Lord and doing the will of our Father. And not to give up easily, but to continue to be persistent, to do what he's asked us to do. Now I want us to consider the response. How did others respond to Joseph being so faithful to say what God said and to do the will of his Father? What happened? It didn't turn out well for Joseph. He did what he was supposed to, but it ended up being the source of a lot of sorrow for Joseph, a lot of suffering. And so let's read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, where that shouldn't surprise us when we are doing exactly what God wants us to do. When we're proclaiming the revelation that he's given us through the Apostle Paul and by the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't be surprised when that very proclamation makes some people angry. And when we're faithful to the vision that we have been given and we're persistent to do what we're supposed to be doing, don't be surprised if everybody's not going to pat you on the back for that. What we have to always keep in mind is who is it that we serve? Who do we want to please ultimately? Too many people, including Christians, live to please their family or someone else or an organization or whatever. But we have to start every day with, Lord, I want to do your will today. And I want to be used as an instrument to help others. Joseph ultimately 
was going to be the one who saved those brothers that hated him and wanted to kill him. We need to have that same attitude when, Lord, even if those that I love because the love of God's in me, even if they don't love me, I still want to do what's pleasing to you. And and that's a daily walk of faith. This is not natural to my flesh. It's not natural to your flesh. When people don't receive you, when, when you, you're ridiculed and you're mocked, it's difficult to just do what's right. And if, if there's ever a time in this world, in our society, that we need people just to do what's right, it's now. Do what's right because it's right. And right in whose, in whose uh, eyes? In, in God's. So let's go, let's read Second Timothy 3 and verses 12 to 17. Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's so clear. And I I always make the reference to this. That's one of those promises you can take out of your promise box and stick on your refrigerator. (laughs) Those who live godly will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We see that today. That what, what we see going on today with all of the hatred and the immorality and the vileness that there is in the world, in our own country, it, it, it's the fulfillment of Scripture. But you, things, the world's standard of what's right and wrong keeps getting lower and lower, and so we should lower ours too. We'll always be just a little bit above the vile world. No, our standard hadn't changed. But you must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have received a vision far more detailed and profound than the two dreams that Joseph had. And yet with just those two dreams, which were a revelation of God's will for Joseph, we see how faithful Joseph was through so many things, just two two dreams. And yet we've been given the entire word of God to guide us, to encourage us, to reveal to us. God's will as we walk in this, this life and as we anticipate the coming of the Lord. He's, he's given us so much knowledge to be able to trust him, to know that what he's promised us in his vision revealed to us, he's going to fulfill. He did it for Joseph. He'll do it for you. Know that the world is going to reject that. Many Christians are going to reject that, that truth that he's given us to, to, to share and to proclaim. But our standard doesn't change. No matter who treats us badly, no matter what the standard of the church in general is, our standard is still the Word of God. Always, in every circumstance, in every situation. And for that to be a reality in our life, it's a daily walk of faith. It's a daily recognizing when our own flesh rises up and wants to conduct itself, manifest itself, contrary to what God has revealed to be right. So if we seriously want to do the will of our Father, if he's the one we want to please, we have to keep coming back to to his standard 
of doing what's what's right. The Apostle Paul in Acts 26, we won't turn there for time's sake, but there Paul, standing before Agrippa, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. God revealed to Paul, first of all, that Jesus was the Christ and that he was the one that Paul was persecuting, but why? He's the Messiah. He's risen. And he received his commission to preach Christ. And Paul says, despite all of those who rejected, the Jews rejected him, many Gentiles rejected him. Everywhere he went, there were those that wanted to kill him. And yet everywhere that he went, there was fruit from his ministry. He didn't change his ministry based on how he was treated. He was always faithful. He was not disobedient to the vision. If there's anything that you want to put on your tombstone, that ought to be it. He was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. We did the will of God. That's what that the lamb's wife's dress is made of. It's the righteous acts of the saints. He did what he was asked to do. That's what Joseph did. Suffered for it, but he was also rewarded with the fulfillment of God's promises to him. Now let's go to Matthew 5 and consider just how destructive hate, the emotion of hate is. Because of hatred, Joseph's brothers wanted to kill him. Because of hate mixed with greed, they sold him. And then they let their father believe he was dead. And, and you, you see how just the seed of whatever manifestation of the flesh it is, in this case it's hatred, that little seed of hatred, before it ever manifested itself, was allowed to fester. It was allowed to grow because it wasn't judged. You know, this, this isn't right. This, is, this isn't what Jehovah would want for me to hate my brother. But because it was never acknowledged for what it was, sin, that hatred grew into acts of sin, and then it grew into destruction not only for Joseph when they tried to destroy him, but for themselves and for their father. And so this is why Jesus says what he says in Matthew 5, 21. We need to recognize that we can't allow hatred to have any place in our relationship with anyone. It's one thing to be angry, and anger in and of itself is not sin. But this is why Paul teaches us, be angry, but sin not. His brothers were angry, and then they sinned because they let that anger turn to hatred and gave into it. So Jesus says, you have heard that it, it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and wh- whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. That's just Old Testament teaching. Sounds good. Everybody agrees to that? Yeah, that, that's, that's good, good stuff. But Jesus says, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, you shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Hatred left unjudged will produce sin of some kind. That, That same little seed of hatred that led to Joseph's brothers wanting to kill him, that same hatred is in, is in our nature. We can let that same thing fester and grow in us if we don't judge it 
and to understand that we are to be vessels of the love of God, which means we always are committed to doing what's in the eternal best interest of others. What's in their eternal best interest? Revenge? No. Revenge doesn't help you either. Seek what's best in, in every situation. And so we have to let go of that anger. We have to let go of that hatred or it will produce some kind of, of sin. It's a cancer. And we see that cancer in the heart of Joseph's brothers. Let's read Paul's doctrinal statement on this in Ephesians four thirty-one to 32. This is not just good advice. It's the revealed will of God for his children to let go of hatred. There's never a justification for it. And when I say that, I know that's not a, a light statement. I've mentioned before my nephew was brutally murdered by drug dealers. And some in my family, I think till the day they died, hated those individuals to the point that, and they never saw those individuals again, but that hatred, it embittered them. It caused them to, to be oppressed and depressed. And that hatred did nothing to those murderers. Absolutely nothing. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4.31, so I'm not, I'm not belittling the, the, the things that cause anger to rise up in you. There are reasons to be angry. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, so this is one of the commands of grace. Let bitterness and wrath anger and clamor be put away from you. It's only hurting you. It's only holding you back. It's not going to do anything to the one you hate. The only remedy for hatred is the love of God. And this is why the bigotry and prejudice will always be with us till Jesus comes. That's not an excuse. It's not a justification for the racism and the bigotry that there is in the world. And racism and bigotry in the life of the Christian has absolutely no place. None whatsoever. But let's don't fool ourselves that somehow we're going to eradicate racism and bigotry from the world. No, it's deeply embedded in the heart of man. The only thing that can overcome that is the love of God. And only faith in Jesus Christ can place that love in your heart. Only. This is why our message is so important, so important in this world that there's just so much hatred in the world. And the remedy is not social reform. It's not political change. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we dedicate ourselves to that, because only the love of God can overcome hatred and change, truly change your heart. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 45. Matthew five forty-three. You have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus speaking, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Is that really possible, to love your enemies, to love those who hate you? It's only possible when you're born again. And for those that have been born again, it's only possible when we learn to yield to that life of Christ in us. 
Paul says the love of God has been spread abroad in our hearts. And I believe that has a multifaceted meaning. First and foremost, it means that the Holy Spirit's revealed to us that God loves us. He's shed abroad the love of God in our heart. But because we've responded to that love, now we become channels of that love. That love is channeled through us to others, even to those who hate us. And in this world where there's, again, to me, I, I, it's embarrassing as a Christian when I hear some evangelicals speak of hatred of, of certain groups, whether it be a political group or whether it be uh, Muslims or whoever it might be, and they speak with such hatred. What about Jesus' words? Pray. That, that doesn't mean we condone all that goes on. In fact, we stand against it. We proclaim truth. We live truth. But that doesn't give us the right to hate those who oppose us. If we really want them to change, what are we going to do? We're going to present Jesus to them. We're going to live Jesus to them. Give them the opportunity, knowing that the vast majority are not going to respond. We know that. But we do what our Father asks us to do. And we leave the rest. God will deal with the rest. Joseph's brothers were only thinking of themselves. We see that Reuben, the older one who, remember, slept with his, his father's concubine, brought reproach to Jacob. We see that he apparently has learned his lesson, didn't want to bring his father any more shame or harm. And so he came up with a plan that, well, I'm going to let him throw him in a pit, but then I'm going to save him later. That was his plan. But his brothers had other plans and sold him as a slave. We see that the providence of God in all of this, and this is what I believe it was Tom in his prayer made reference to that in our own experience, that God allows even evil men to do what's in their heart. He allows it. You think down through history, you think of Hitler, and why in the world did God allow that to take, why did he let Hitler kill so many Jews? His own people, his chosen people. And many people doubt God and walk away from God because he allows such things. God always allows men to make their choice. He will hold them accountable. Don't think Hitler got away with anything. And he, he's just a, a big example we can use, but you can use that to any evil that's done in the world. No one gets away with evil. They will all one day stand before the judge. But even when evil men do what appears to be for the purpose of annulling God's promise, God actually uses their actions to fulfill his promises. We see it all through history. We see it with Joseph. His brothers had one purpose. God had another. He, he's going to hold each individual accountable for their bad choices, but their bad choices aren't going to annul the promises of God. That ought to bring us great comfort when we go through difficult things and when people mistreat us and when we suffer injustices, because we do. But we're not victims. I mean, Joseph could have taken that uh, that victim mentality that so many Christians do when people treat them wrong. Oh, poor me. We're God's servants. He's responsible to take care of us. We're not victims. If he allows it, it's for a purpose. And we see that in, in Joseph's life. We see it in the life of Jesus. If you want to just jot down Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 to 24, 
Jesus was taken by lawless hands and was crucified and put to death by evil men who wanted to do away with Jesus. God allowed it to happen. But underneath all of that was the providence of God. It was God's will for his son to die for the sins of the world. So God's will was accomplished by evil men. Unwittingly, and we think of Joseph, God needed Joseph in Egypt. Travel in that day was, was hard and expensive. But God made the Midianites pay the fare for Joseph to get there. He needed to be in Egypt. I wouldn't have chosen this way. Joseph wouldn't have chosen it. But God had a plan. And nothing's going to overthrow it. When the famine would come and Joseph needed to trade and buy in order to make sure that there's enough supply, not only for Egypt, for the whole region, he needed to know economics. He needed to know how to buy and sell, didn't he? Where do you think he learned that? Remember, he was a young man when he was a, was a slave. Where do you think he learned business? On that long trip to Egypt. He, he went to college because those merchants all along the way were doing what? They were buying and selling. He learned how it was done. And again, I wouldn't choose that university, but God had a plan. And apparently he was a good student because he made Pharaoh rich with how he managed all of that. This was part of his education. And we're going to see that all through this. Joseph, if he was going to rule in Egypt, he needed to be in that, that ring of power and wealth. He was sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's house, who was next to the king. People would come and go, and he would meet a lot of powerful people in that place. You see, God had a plan. It, it looks like, you know, we could, we could look at it in a narrow, well, he was hated by his brethren. He was thrown in a pit. He was sold as a slave. Horrible things. And yet in every situation, we see God was preparing him to sit on the throne. Can you look at your experience, your trials, the things that you're going through now? Some of us can look back and see how he, he did that. And that's kind of easier for us to, after you've gone through it, oh, oh, yeah, I see now. But it's in the midst of it we need to learn to see it by faith. God hasn't forsaken me. He didn't forsake Joseph. He won't forsake me. I think we'll stop there tonight.